middle of your Bible should be Psalms, right before Psalms is Job. And uh, if you turn to Job chapter 41, again, the book of Job chapter number 41, if you go a couple pages beyond that, you'd be in the book of Psalms, Job chapter 41. I know that uh, yesterday was Remembrance Day. I know that, and uh, oftentimes I preach some message related to Remembrance Day the Sunday before, and I didn't last week, and I was fine. I've always said, Lord, I'll just continue on the next section of whatever book we're at, unless you change that direction. And so this week, as I began to prepare for this morning's service, the Lord gave me a text for Remembrance Day. And he just gave me three words, and those three words were, remember the battle. Now, this is funny. If you never preach this, it make no sense to you. Chalk me up for being crazy. But uh, God gave me, remember the battle. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'll preach on that. That'd be fine. But is that the title? Is that the direction? Is that an actual verse? Maybe that's a verse in the Bible. And so I got my little Google search and typed in those three words, remember the battle. And it's found one place in Scripture. And so we're going to look at that. And as I read the verse, I thought, wow, what are we going to do with that? And so Job chapter number 41, I would like us to read just verse number 8. Job chapter 41, verse 8. Let's read that together, reading that out loud Lay thy hand upon him, remember the battle, do no more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. I know that some of our people are away. Help them where they're at. Some are dealing with sickness, encourage them. Some are on the road traveling, keep them safe. I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to them. But, Lord, I pray minister to us. Again, help in the, with those children the other end of the building. Uh, speak to their hearts. May they fall in love with Jesus Christ. But Lord, as we look at this text, I, I don't think I've ever heard a message from it. I couldn't find a message about it. And so Lord, I pray that you direct what's said. May it be true. May it be right. May it help us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, yesterday was Remembrance Day. Preacher, what exactly is Remembrance Day? It's the day that we remember the many battles that our country has been in through the years. It's a day that we remember the many men and women who died in fighting those battles. I know that all that marched off to war did not have to make that sacrifice of their lives, but all who marched off to war were prepared to make that sacrifice I'm told that more than 2.3 million Canadians have served in various wars of our country. I'm told that 118,000 Canadians gave their life during those battles. And may we ever be mindful that the freedoms that we enjoy, somebody paid a price so that we could enjoy these things. Again, as I was trying to find the direction of God all I got from the Lord was remember the battle. Again, look there in verse number 8. Now, there are some verses that are so obvious when you read them, what they're saying. I don't think Job 41.8 is one of those verses. 
I think maybe the first time, and I know if you read through your Bible, you read it, but maybe you read it so fast, you didn't stop to ask yourself, what is that about? Look at, again, Job 41, verse 8. Lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. Say, preacher, what is that talking about? Well, if we were to back up to the beginning of the book of Job, you know that uh, the book of Job was about a man named Job. I have heard many people, even heard it this week, someone say, well, I thought that was a book about a job. It's not a job. It's a job. I remember when I went to Bible Institute myself in North Carolina, uh, there was a biker that God saved. He's pretty rough, pretty tough, pretty rude, pretty crude. And he started coming to our evening Bible Institute. And uh, a lot of guys are a little nervous of him. Uh, but I sat beside him. I said, how's your week? Oh, he said, it's been great. He said, it's so good to be saved. And I said, uh, are you reading your Bible? I was trying to encourage. He said, yes. And he said, I found a book in the Bible about getting a job. I said, well, it's probably not completely about that, but keep reading your Bible. It's not about a job. It's about a man named Job. We read in chapter 1 that Job, God said, was perfect and upright, one that loved God and eschewed evil. That word eschewed is hated. So this man, Job, loved God. He hated evil. In fact, God was so proud of this man, Job, that uh, the devil one day shows up to God. I think the devil on a regular basis has to report to God. And when the devil reported to God, God said, Hast thou noticed my servant Job? Have you seen him? There's nobody like him. God was bragging on Job. And because God was bragging on Job, the devil decided, I'm going to mess that man up. And could I say to you that from the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have an enemy that's trying to mess you up. So that's our introduction to the book of Job. We know that uh, the devil said to God, he only serves you because he blessed him. He only loves you because you've given him so many things. And the devil said to God, if you take away all those things, Job will curse you to your face. And God said, no, he won't. And the devil said, then let me try him. If you know chapter 1 and chapter number 2 of Job, we know that Job lost all of his livestock. Job lost all of his holdings. Job lost all of his assets. By the time chapter 2 is done, Job has lost all 10 of his children. And Job has lost his good health. And the devil was so sure that Job would turn his back on God, but Job didn't. In fact, Job's wife kind of lost faith. She said to her husband, curse God and die. But Job said to his wife, thou art as one of the foolish women. Isn't it fair that God blesses us and that God can take those blessings away that when he wants? Job worshipped God in spite of the trials that he went through. What a great example that is to you and I. As close as we are getting to the return of the Lord, 
there is a real devil that has a desire to get you and I to quit and to stop and to give up and to, to uh, lose our faith in God. And yet what we need is the kind of faith that Job had. Job's faith was not in the God who blessed him so much. Job's faith was in God. And so Job didn't turn his back on God, even though Job thought, and I'll try to show this later, even though Job thought God had turned his back on Job. Well, chapter number three, Job has some friends that come to visit him. They came to visit him for the purpose of comforting him. For seven days, those friends didn't say anything. Now, I don't know that that's a lot of comfort. I know that sometimes we try to help people, and sometimes we don't know what to say, and so we can just sit there, and we can just empathize with them. But I think seven days of silence might have been a little too much. After seven days, from chapter number three, all the way to chapter number 37, those friends systematically began to shoot at Job. They said, Job, your troubles are because of your sin. Job, your troubles are because secretly you've been doing things that nobody knows. Job, God has finally brought your liberty to an end. Job, you're the one that's wrong. Job, you're the one that's in sin. Job, and, and for some 36 plus chapters, they were blaming Job for all of Job's trouble. Job, during that period of time, and we don't know how long that was, whether it was days or weeks or months, we don't know how long they criticized. But during that time, Job began to lose his faith. Sometimes we can stand strong for a moment. Sometimes we can stand true to God for a day. Sometimes we can stand for the Lord if the troubles last a week, but what if they last a month? And what if they last six months? And what if they last a year? That's where Job began to rattle to his, the bones of his faith and uh, Job kept crying out and saying, where is God in all of this? And again, Job, I think, believed that God was responsible for all this trouble, that God was the sender of all this heartache. Finally, in Job chapter 38, God breaks his silence. In Job chapter 38, God begins to speak. And what we find, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter 38 and chapter 39 and chapter 40 is God asks Job 40 questions. And he said, okay, Job, you think you know it all. Job, you think that you are wiser than God. Job, you think that you have all the answers. And that what was happening in those 36 chapters Job was accusing God of being unjust to him. So again, when we get to chapter 38, Job begins to ask 40 questions. Do you know, I heard that back in 1925, there was a Christian man named Harry Rimmer. Harry Rimmer was a wise man. He was a wealthy man. He was a man that was well-connected 
to the who's who of this world. And many of those in who's who, uh, they, they denied a God. And they rejected the notion of a God. So this man, Harry Rimmer, as he gathered with the wisest of scientists and the wisest of politicians, he began to ask these same 40 questions. And he said one after another had no answers. And they thought he was brilliant to come up with those questions. And he said, it's not me. He said, there is a man that asked these questions some 3,800 years ago. And they said, who, who, we, we, we don't know who, you. and he said, it's God. So again, in chapter 38 and 39 and even 40, God answers these questions to a Job who thinks he's smarter than God. And when you get to Job chapter 41, in Job chapter 41, God asks Job about this. Look there in chapter 41 and verse 1. Job chapter 41 and verse 1, he says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? He begins to ask questions about this, whatever it is called Leviathan. And Job can't answer it. You say, oh, preacher, who exactly is this Leviathan? Well, it's really two things. First of all, this Leviathan was a literal animal that God had created. And it was probably a sea creature. Look there in Job 41 and verse 1 again. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? Kind of sounds like fishing. Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down. Look there in verse number 7. Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? It would seem, first of all, that this Leviathan is some kind of a creature, some kind of an animal that has its dwelling in the sea. And so of the 40 questions that God is asking Job, he begins to ask about this Leviathan. But friends, Leviathan is not only an animal that's in the sea. Leviathan was one of the types in the Old Testament of Satan himself. You say, well, pastor, how would you know that? Well, look there in Job chapter 41, verse 33. Still talking about Leviathan, Job 41, 33. Upon earth there is not his like who is made without fear. Verse 34, he behold, that's Leviathan, beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. That would be a strange thing to say about any animal. That would be a very strange thing. Keep your hand in Job quickly, if you would. Look in Psalm chapter 74. We're going to be right back to Job. Don't lose it. But the very next book, Psalm chapter 74. This is a very strange thing for God to say about an animal that it is a king over all the children of pride. How could an animal be like that unless Leviathan is referring to much more than an animal? Well, look there in Psalm chapter 74 and verse number 14. Psalm 74 and verse 14, Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now this Leviathan apparently has heads, 
That's a strange thing. You don't need Psalm 74, but look there in Isaiah. After Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 27. And you see, a preacher, is all of this necessary? It is to get to the verse that we're aiming at. Isaiah chapter 27, and look there in verse 1. Isaiah 27 in verse 1, in that day. That's a future day. That's a day that the Lord is coming back. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan. Why would God punish an animal? Why would God mete out judgment if it's just a mere animal? In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, that piercing servant, even Leviathan, that crooked servant, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. I'm saying to you that one, yes, Leviathan is an animal, probably some kind of a sea creature, but Leviathan is much more than that. He is a representative of the devil himself. Now back, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40, or sorry, Job chapter 41. Job chapter 41. Now consider, Job has just endured almost 40 chapters of difficulty. If it wasn't health difficulty, if it wasn't uh, material possession difficulty, uh, it was family difficulty, and then all those chapters of the criticism of his friends. After all of that, now in Job 41 and verse 8, lay thy hand upon him. The hymn is Leviathan. The hymn is this one that Job has been battling for 40 chapters. The battle's done. And God says, lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. I'd like to preach this morning on that title, Remember the Battle. Let's look what we can learn about it. Begin again in Job 41 and verse 8. If God said, lay thy hand upon him, remember the battle, it would stand to reason that Job had been in a battle. For someone to say, remember the battle. Well, you must have been a part of it. You, you must have been associated. If you're taking notes this morning about remember the battle, could I say, first of all, we need to remember that we are in a battle. We need to remember that we are in a battle. It, it might be that uh, you thought that this life would be a picnic. It might be that you thought this life would be a stroll in the park, but it's a battle. And it's a fight. I, we won't turn to these, but 1 Timothy 1.18. Paul says, This charge I commit unto thee, son, Tim, uh, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou, mightest, uh, that thou by them mightest uh, war a good warfare. Paul said, Timothy, you're in a war. And you want to fight a good warfare, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, 
No man that warreth uh, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I say, first of all, we need to remember that we're in a battle. Remember, we're chasing, remember the battle. Well, folks, one of these days, you and I will look back on our own life and we'll recognize that we were in a battle. It wasn't a picnic. <laughs> it wasn't a stroll. It wasn't a, a, a recreation game. It, it wasn't something Parker Brothers put together. We were in a battle and we were in a fight. And here when God said to Job, remember the battle, he's reminding Job that he has sure enough just been in a battle. I think that some of our church folk, right now in your life, you're in a battle. And you're scratching your head and you're wondering what on earth is going on. My once happy life and my once peaceful life and my once content life has all kind of been thrown up in the air and I'm not even sure how it's landing. Could I remind you, as God reminded Job, we're in a battle. Obviously, this battle that I'm speaking of is a spiritual battle. And uh, it's as in any battle, there are two sides in this battle. There is God's side and there's the devil's side. And we need to choose which side we will fight for. Now, you don't have to be afraid about siding with God. The Bible says in Exodus 15, 3, that our God is a man of war. So when you choose to be on God's side, you made a good choice. Uh, war and fighting are not foreign to our God. And Jesus Christ has proved to be the captain of our salvation. And when you got saved, you enlisted in a battle. And the moment that you did, you immediately gained an enemy that will try to stop you any way that he can. Keep Job 41. We're going to keep coming back to that. But look there in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we're chasing down this thought on, we need to remember that we're in a battle. Remember, we're chasing this remember the battle. So the first thing in remembering the battle is we need to remember that we're in a battle. And whatever isn't quite making sense to you about your life right now, if you'd back up and say, hold on a minute, we're in the battle. Hold on a minute, there's an enemy. Hold on a minute, there is someone that's trying to oppose every step that I'm trying to make forward. If you and I keep that in mind, maybe we won't lose our faith in the midst of this battle. So I, I again say to you that uh, we need to remember that we're in a battle. Look there in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Peter writes, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, do you know, if you've been in church any length of time, that's a familiar verse. But Peter is writing to Christians. And as Peter writes to these Christians, he says, you have an adversary. So it's not just a truth that was true back in Job's day. It's a truth that was still true in that first century A.D. And Peter said, you have an adversary. And this adversary, his goal is to devour you. 
We're told who the adversary is. He's called the devil. And uh, before you got saved, uh, he did everything he could to prevent the gospel from getting to your ears. But if you're saved today, he lost that one. But now he's doing everything he can to prevent you from living for God. I know if you've been saved for a while, that, that's old news. You know that there's an enemy. But I think Job, right in the middle of his battle, I think he forgot that. He was giving God the credit for something that God didn't do. And if Job had just reminded himself, I'm in a battle, there is an enemy that's trying to stop me, maybe Job wouldn't have said some of those things in that battle that he did. Maybe Job wouldn't have thought some of those things in the battle that he thought. Uh, do you know, uh, I've heard of young Christians who said this, before I got saved, I didn't seem to have any problems in life. But they said, now that I'm saved, it seems I have problems everywhere that I turn. That's because when you and I got saved, we inherited an enemy who is trying to stop us. Somebody else said this, a believer said, the closer I try to get to God, the closer the devil seems to get to me. Listen, you can be saved and not care about the things of God at all. And the devil's not worried about you. You're not a threat to his agenda. But when you decide that you're going to do what's right, that you're going to be faithful in prayer and faithful in the Bible and faithful in the house of God, you are somebody that stands in his way. You need to remember that we're in a battle. We're in a battle. Because Job loved God. Because Job lived for God, the devil had a keen interest in stopping Job. So he calculated, if I take away all the things of Job's, he'll quit. He didn't quit. The devil calculated, if I take away Job's children, then he'll quit. And he didn't quit. And the devil figured, well, if I take away his health, then he'll quit. And all of Job's troubles didn't come from God. They came from his enemy in the midst of this battle. Pastor, it seems that I am facing difficulties in my life that I've never faced before. Why does God hate me so? God doesn't. In fact, God is the only one that can carry you through these things. But you have to remember that uh, we're in a battle. Do you know, if the devil can get you to quit because of the fierceness of the battle, then the devil wins. But if you find the grace of God to go in in spite of the fierceness of the battle, then God wins. So it's kind of like, do you remember when you were kids and you want to pick on a kid? And some of you would grab one arm and you'd be yanking it that way and someone else would grab that arm and you'd be yanking it that way. And he just, if he, if he kept it up, he'd be like a gorilla that could tie his shoelaces all bending. But that's kind of what the devil is doing. A devil's pulling one way and God's pulling the other. I'm saying we need to remember, as far as remember the battle, we need to remember that we're in a battle. 
And preacher, what, uh, what are Christians to do when we face such opposition? Uh, look there, while you're in First uh, Peter 5, look at verse 9, the opening words of verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. So you just have to stand when, when the devil is trying to discourage you. You can't stand in your strength. You can only stand in God's strength. That's the faith. But you have to stand. And I'm saying to you that when many, many believers find themselves in the midst of a battle that they never invited, that they never saw coming, some are overwhelmed with fear. But he says we need to resist steadfast in the faith. I think that when Pharaoh ordered all of those Hebrew boy babies killed, some went crazy with fear. But at least Moses' parents stood by faith. I think when Daniel, Daniel 3, talks about the king making that great image and demanding that all fall down and worship it, I think some were filled with fear. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stayed on their feet by faith. I'm saying in our Christian life, if we want to live for God, troubles are sure to come. You say, I don't have any troubles right now. Well, enjoy the week, because next week will be a little bit different. And uh, years ago, <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret of pastoring. Uh, probably about 15 years ago, uh, there, there was trouble in the church. You say, 15 years ago? Yeah, trouble in the church. And I spoke to a preacher, and I said, have you got any words of wisdom? He said, yeah, lots. I learned them all the hard way. He said, do you know when this particular problem goes away, it won't be long, and you'll have another one. I said, well, what kind of encouragement is that? <laughs> Folks, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. And so when Job was told, first of all, remember the battle, it insinuates that we're in one. I give you a second truth that we find in our text here. And uh, while you're here in 1 Peter, don't, don't lose that one. Uh, let's look there in 1 Peter 5, verse 9. We will get back to Job again. Uh, Peter says, after he reminded believers that there is an enemy that's trying to stop us, to destroy us, devour us, verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, the second thing I'd bring to your attention when God said, remember the battle, first was we need to remember that we're in a battle. But the second thing, would you write this down? We need to remember that we're not alone in the battle. We need to remember that we're not alone in the battle. I'll look again at verse number nine. Peter says to these believers that recognize they're in a battle, verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing, well, what do we know? When we're in the midst of battle, what do we know? Knowing that the same afflictions, whatever you're dealing with, the same afflictions, you're not the first one. You're not the first that's ever had to fight with this. You're not the first that's ever had to deal with this. Again, verse 9, he says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Sometimes the devil says, well, Buster, <laughs> you have this because you're just an odd duck. 
And no one else has ever had to deal with this, and it's because it's all you. You know what he said? It's not all you. He said, there are other brethren that have dealt with these same afflictions in the world. Folks, that's a good thing. Uh, I know the world says misery likes company. I know they say that. But you know, there is some consolation with the fact that what you are dealing with right now, others have dealt with it before and they came through it. Others are dealing with it now, and God will carry them through it. I'm saying the second thing, if you haven't written it, please do. We need to remember that we're not alone in the battle. And so these afflictions are not limited to you. Many of the other brethren are facing these same things. Whatever temptation the devil is throwing at you. He's throwing it at others. You've heard this before, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Say, Pastor, I, I, I don't think I can overcome this temptation. I must be the only one that trips up. It's common to man. Uh, not only the temptation you're facing, others have the, the doubts that you're wrestling with. Do you know, whatever doubts the devil might be putting in your heart at this time, you're not alone in that battle. I read this, Matthew 28, 17. It says, and when they, the apostles, saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And that, that's right before the Lord ascended. And the Lord just said, you know, I'm going to be leaving you, and I'll come back again. And those disciples, as, as they looked at the Lord... And as the Lord was ascending to heaven, some of them believed what Jesus said, that I'll come back to you again. But that verse said some of them doubted. Not one of them doubted. Some of them doubted. Whatever you're facing, whatever the enemy of God and good is throwing at you, you're not the only one. There are others that can help. There are others on side. And so again, we need to remember that we're not alone in the battle. Other believers have been there too. But even greater than the comfort of knowing that other believers have faced these same trials is the comfort of knowing that God is with you too. Look at verse 10, 1 Timothy 5.10. But the God of all grace... Do you know, it doesn't say the grace of our God. I know that God has grace that can carry us through anything. And, and on the heels of verse 8, we have an enemy. On the heels of verse 9, there are other believers that have faced these same things. Verse 10 isn't saying that there is grace from God that helps you. Verse 10 is saying that the God of all grace will help you. Didn't our Lord say, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee? And I think Job thought in the midst of his 40 chapters of trouble, where is God? But God was right there. He was not required to stand alone, God was right there. Uh, you know, when uh, 
Job was told to remember the battle. Secondly, we need to remember that we're not alone in the battle. We should find great comfort that other believers are right there too. We should find great comfort that God is right there too. And that's why I promised I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, do you remember when the king, and I mentioned Daniel 3 a moment ago, uh, do you remember when the king set up that great image and the king said at what time you hear the sound of the horn and the, and, and the sack button and dulcimer and all those instruments, when, when the orchestra strikes it up, then all of you people need to fall to your knees and begin to worship this image. Well, all of those included many Jews that had been taken captive to Babylon, Daniel 1. And uh, yet, under the opposition that that king of Babylon raised, how many of those Jews crumbled and fell to their knees and began to worship this image contrary to the word of God. But three men didn't. Shadrach didn't, Meshach didn't, Abednego didn't. It wasn't just one. They had others that were with them. They had others that stood by their side. And uh, again, the king threatened. He said, if you won't fall down and worship, I'll throw you into a fiery furnace. And uh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken before the king, and the king said, will you worship? And they said, no, we're not careful to answer thee, O king, but we are not worshiping that image. And he got furious, the king. And the king said, I'm going to heat that up seven times hotter. Okay. <laughs> And you know, the very men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into that fiery furnace, it says those men that did it, they were hurt by the fire. But not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's, I know it's a Sunday school story. Don't ever get tired of them. But we know that the king, the Bible says in short order, the king went to look into that furnace. And the king didn't see three. He saw how many? Four. I'll read the verse. Daniel 3.25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God, capital S on the Son, Son of God. Jesus was there with them. Now, let me say this. It's probably been preached before. The king knew that Jesus was with them. But I don't think they knew that Jesus was with them. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? Because it says all four were walking in the fire. I think if they knew that the Son of God was right, they wouldn't be walking. They'd be flat on their face, worshiping God for the protection that he was given. I don't think they knew that the Son of God was there. They knew that they had a peace that passeth all understanding. But they didn't know that the Lord was physically there. You know what I'm saying to you when God said to Job, remember the battle? I think we need to remember that we're in a battle. I think, secondly, we need to remember 
that we're not alone in the battle. I give you a third thing. Look, if you would, to Psalms 144. So you, you can let go of Peter. Please keep Job. We're going to be right back there. Psalm chapter 144. So again, remember the battle. Remember that we're in a battle. Whatever you're facing, it shouldn't surprise you. And in fact, uh, didn't Peter write, uh, uh, Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Peter said, listen, when, when, your world, when your happy world blows apart, you shouldn't think it's strange. God said it would happen. We're in a battle. Secondly, not only we're in a battle, but uh, we're not alone in the battle. What a blessing that had. We can't see the Lord. He's right here. Do you remember Elisha? Elisha was in that city, walled city. And uh, the enemy, Syrians, I think, brought their great armies around this city because they wanted to get Elisha. And Elisha's servant got up early in the morning and he went up on the top of that wall and he, he looked out and he saw that innumerable number of army, enemy army. And he thought, oh my. And he raced down to Elisha and he said, we're in big, 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 big trouble. Look at them out there. They're all enemy. Oh, Elisha said, we got more than they got. <laughs> and that servant counted himself encountered Elisha and he came up with a total of two and as he began to count the enemy that was out there he exceeded two and he said well, what do you mean we're more than they and Elisha prayed and said God open his eyes and the Bible says that on that hilltop around were the armies of God now, that servant couldn't see it a few minutes ago. God helped him to supernaturally see what he couldn't naturally see. And folks, I think that if God opened our eyes, we're not alone. There are more of us. There are more of we who want to stand for God than those that are opposed to God. You in your counting and me in my counting we don't need but a couple of hands. <laughs> but if we saw God's right here, it would take two hands, two feet, and too many more. I say, first of all, we're in a battle. We need to remember that. Secondly, we need to remember that we're not alone in the battle. Uh, hopefully you found Psalm 144. I haven't quite found that yet. Psalm chapter 144. Look there, if you would, in verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Who wrote Psalm 144? Some of you have a note. David did. We know that David later became the king of Israel. We know that David many times in his life was in battle. David many times in his life had been in wars. Many times he had fought. And David remembered that when he was in those battles, that God taught him some things that he didn't know before. 
Look at the verse again, Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my strength, uh, which teacheth my hands to war. Now, I'm not a fighter. That's not me. Some of you probably are better fighters when I'm talking about clenching fists and all. Uh, but I, I'm told in a fight, uh, I've, heard a, I've, I've heard of a couple of drill instructors as they've taught their soldiers, when you get in a fight and you lose your weapon, your hands become weapons. And this is what you can do with your hands. And if you learn now during the instruction, it'll help you in the middle of that fight. And, and that's what David said. David said, you know, the Lord taught me some things in the midst of the battles that I've fought. Look again at that verse, Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. So David remembered that God had taught him some things that helped him through the battle. If you're taking notes, here's my third thing to remember. We need to remember all that we've learned in the battle. Folks, this, the world says this isn't my first rodeo. That's the world. The Bible says this isn't our first battle. The Bible is just full of battle after battle after battle. And if you take Psalm 144 verse 1 in context, all those things. Shouldn't we, as we read about the battles in the Bible, shouldn't we learn some truths in those battles that help us in the battle that we're in today? Again, I say to you, we need to remember all that we've learned in the battle. I was kind of curious, and I didn't have time to read the entire Old Testament, so I googled how many battles are recorded in the Old Testament? And you know, to my surprise, there are over 50 battles in the Old Testament. And you can relax. I'm not going to comment on the lessons learned on all 50, but I will come in on a few. Do you know the very first battle in history would have taken place up in heaven when Lucifer decided he was no longer going to follow God's leadership. And we've talked about that a Sunday night or two ago. And Lucifer decided he would raise up a rebellion. And he talked some of the angels of heaven to follow him. And there was a great battle that took place. But the Bible says in Isaiah 14 that God cast out Lucifer from heaven Pastor, what can we learn from that battle? Could I say we can know that God knows whose side that we take in every battle? Well, God knows what side you take. You say, oh, preacher, it looks like this side's winning. Yeah, but is that side right? Folks, we don't pick the side that we take by who has the most on that side. We pick the side that we take by the side that's right. The side that's pro-God and pro-Bible. And, and I'm saying the lesson to be learned, probably a hundred. But uh, the lesson we learn is God knows what side of the battle that you take. I think of the very next battle, and, and I suppose you can let go of Psalms. Hopefully you still got Job. 
but look there in, in Genesis 14, and, and I'll just speak of a few, but I'm trying to say this isn't your first battle. This isn't my first battle. Surely you've learned some truths in the midst of those battles that can help you in this battle. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter number 14 records a battle. That's a battle between four kings and five kings. And these four kings had been the dominant kingdom until one day the five kings said, we're not going to let you rule us any. And so there's a battle. In that battle, the four kings came down and took captive the five. And, and that whole story is only told us so that we can learn that Lot, Abram's nephew, was taken as a slave. Genesis 14. And so what does Abram do? Abram arms his trained servants. You say, well, Pastor, how many servants did he have? 318. <laughs> and Abram with 318 of his servants. I mean, he probably had some cooks. He probably had some doorkeepers. Probably had some that took care of the animals. 318. He put a weapon in their hand and he said, let's go. It's a battle. Oh, what on earth would cause Abram to think with 318 men that he was going to defeat four armies that were confederate? And yet, before he finished Genesis 14, Abram wins it. What lesson do you learn from that? God doesn't work by numbers. God doesn't require you to be on the bigger side. I'm saying that there are lessons to be learned. And so if you're in a battle right now, God's not looking at how many are on your side. God's not looking at how big the enemy might be. Our victory depends not on many or few, but it depends on if God is with us. I think of another battle, and again, I'll just refer to these, but Exodus 17. Nation of Israel be just beginning to wander through the wilderness. And the Amalekites come and attack from behind. Moses looks around and he sees Joshua and he said, Joshua, prepare an army. Israel had never fought before. God had done all the fighting. God said to Moses, tomorrow morning at 0600, you are leading our army into the battle. And so they do. And Moses said, you know what? I'm going to stand on top, uh, on top of that mountain up there, that hill, that rock. And I'm going to hold up my staff. And he said, as I hold up my staff, God will grant you a great victory. And Moses did. He held up that staff and God granted a great victory. But after a while, Moses' hands got weary. And he couldn't hold up that staff. And as he dropped that staff, the... Jewish soldiers began to lose. And they'd look up there at Moses and say, well, I thought, and, and they'd see Moses' arms had gotten weary. And their leader had gotten tired. And he was just playing worn out. It been a long day, long week, long month. You know what they could have done in that battle? They could have criticized the very people on their own side. But they didn't. You know what they sent to Aaron and her, and her was a him. Aaron and her, 
And they got on either side of Moses and said, we'll help you. Do you know in the midst of the battle, that's not the time to be attacking each other. In the midst of the time, that's the time to be helping each other. The devil convince you that you need to hit the door and be gone and be out and just forget it. You need God's people with you. That's a lesson to be learned. The devil wants in the battle that you're in there to be infighting. You don't want infighting. That's a lesson learned. I, again, the devil will try to talk you into leaving. I, I read this just this week. Knowing that the devil wants to pitch you against others, the devil wants to separate you from other believers. Someone said, when you buy a bunch of bananas, the first one to get eaten is the first one that leaves the bunch. I give that to you. You know, if that banana stayed with the rest of the bunch, he never would have been eaten. Is that fair? When you buy a bunch of bananas, I can't find a verse for this. Uh, the first one to get eaten is the first one that leaves the bunch. In your battle, yes, you need God. But in your battle, you need each other. That's not the time to start picking holes in each other. I say there's all kinds of lessons. Do you know when Israel marched around Jericho, Joshua 6, they marched around Jericho one day and nothing happened in that battle. They marched the second day, nothing, third day, nothing happened, fourth day, nothing happened, fifth day, nothing happened, sixth. Do you know what you learn from that? The victories don't come always right away. You just have to keep doing what God has already told you to do. Victory's coming. But you can't in day five say it hasn't worked now, forget it. No, 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 no. You didn't learn that from the battles that God recorded. I think of that battle where um, Gideon was to go against the Midianites and they had thousands and thousands. Gideon had 300. Again, victory isn't decided by who has the bigger numbers. I think of the battle when, when Goliath, Goliath, that Philistine giant, was mocking Israel. And uh, all of the Jewish soldiers, their knees were knocking, including King Saul himself. Young David steps up and he says, I'll fight him. Well, you're, you're not a trained soldier. Yes, that might be true. But I've watched what God can do, and I believe God can do it again. If you're in a battle right now, could I remind you that you're not the only one that's ever been in that battle? Likely somewhere in the scriptures, God has recorded a similar battle. And you need to look back at that. What's God trying to teach you from that one? I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Back there to Job chapter 41. So we did make it back. Job chapter 41. So again, we, we have covered the middle three words. Look at it. Job 41 verse 8. Lay the hand upon him. Remember the battle. We've already seen that remember the battle part. We're in a battle. We're not alone in the battle. And remember all that we learned in the battle. But what do you do with the beginning and the end of verse 8? Look at it again. Lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. I give you the last thing, if you'd write it down, if you're taking notes. We need to remember the after of our battle. 
We need to remember the after of our battle. Could I suggest to you that in every battle, there are four outcomes. In every battle, there are some that die in the battle. They fought till their last breath. That'd be a good ending. No one wants to die, but if you have to die, if you die stood fighting for the right cause, one outcome of every battle is there's some that die. And they're honorable. And, and sometimes uh, an award is given posthumously after. Uh, second thing, some uh, in a battle, they survived the battle. Well, they didn't die. Uh, but they got wounded. They got shot at. rest of their life, they're going to bear the wounds. But they stayed in the battle. They stayed until the fighting was done. I give you a third thing. Some quit in the battle. Some just got disheartened. Some just lost hope and they quit. And you don't want that. If we're going to die in the battle, that'd be honorable. If we uh, survive the battle, even though we're wounded, that'd be honorable. You don't want to die in the battle. You said, preacher, there's four outcomes. I think there is one more outcome in a battle, and it's people that they didn't quit. They just stopped fighting. So they stayed in the foxhole, but they weren't shooting. They weren't representing their side. And so the rest of the soldiers had to carry the weight to get them to a victory too. I, I use these words, and maybe you'll understand. Some in a battle just squeaked through. <laughs> and after it's all said and done, yeah, they're on the victory side. But they didn't help their side to get the victory. They kind of lost faith. They kind of lost hope. And I would suggest to you that that's Job. Job didn't die in the 40 chapters of his battle. Uh, yes, Job survived. Job didn't quit. and he, he didn't give up. But Job began to lose faith in God. Job got bitter against God. Job got angry against God. Job thought, in fact, I, 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 I can't, I don't, I don't have time to turn to them all, but do you know... Job wanted God to take his life. That's how much he'd lost hope. Job got bitter at those around him. Job got angry at God. Job felt that he was more righteous than God. And Job convinced himself that delighting in God was no longer profitable. I'll read you the verse. Uh, it's found in chapter 34, verse 7. What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water? For he hath said, It profited, uh, profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Listen, folks, if in this battle, this Christian battle, if you're saying it doesn't pay to live for God, it doesn't pay to keep reading the Bible, it doesn't keep it pay to keep praying. Well, you haven't quit, but you sure stop fighting. And I think that those that stayed in the battle but didn't fight anymore, I just think after the battle's all done, 
They're not standing like this. Because they gave up the fight. And I think there in Job 41 and verse 8, the devil didn't slay Job. But Job didn't really come out of that battle honorably. And so God says, okay, Job, you can lay thy hand upon him. You, they're hunters. And you're, you're hunting for that big buck, that 12-point. And when you get it, man, they can't take enough pictures of you with that buck. And you're holding that rack with both hands, and you're kind of staying crouched over it, and you got this grin from ear to ear that wraps around both ears. That's if you finished the fight and you have a sense of accomplishment because you stuck with the fight till it's done. But you know, if you went out hunting and you like shot for a big buck and you happened to shoot a little Bambi, that's not what you were aiming at. It's these things, you know, smaller than your toolbox at home. There's no pride in that. There's no sense of accomplishment in that. And, and, and so you don't, you don't put two hands on that little Bambi. Because that's not the feeling that you've got. It's almost like, well, this is kind of a fluke. And so God says, yes, Job, the devil didn't destroy you in this battle. But he stole your faith. And he stole your fight. So Job, lay thy hand, one hand, upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. He said, you can't brag about it, Job. The devil robbed you of your faith. You began to accuse God in the midst of the battle. And folks, we don't want to end like that. I don't want to end like that. I know that the devil has cranked up the opposition against Christians because we're getting closer to the return of Christ. Don't let the devil steal your faith. Stay true. Stay faithful. You don't want to just have to put one hand and say, well, I'm on the victory side, but you want to say, look at the victory. We have a song, when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. When the battle's over, will you wear a crown? Remember the battle.